Hi, this is James Rousseau, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of The Coiling Solution, where we look to empower you through awareness and actionable insights. On this episode, I am linking up with John Burchard and John Demergian from Road to Status, a company with an immigration platform that has helped more than 65,000 people navigate their personal immigration process over the past few years. During our conversation, we delve deep into the topic of what else but immigration. John and John help us cut through some of the fog and separate fact from fiction. Further, we cover some tough questions such as, do immigrants hurt the U.S. economy or not? Take away jobs or not? Do immigrants have business startup advantages or not? What are some of the real access to justice issues? And what are some of the things we should be doing as U.S. citizens? So tell you what, sit back, buckle up. Because we're about to link up with Road to Status. Thank you guys again for uh, joining us today on uh, this uh, episode of The Core Link Solution. With me today, I have John and John from The Road to Status. And why don't we start with some brief introductions from both of you. Hi, my name is John Bashar. I'm the co-founder of Road to Status. And my name is John Demergian, and I'm the chief operating officer of Road to Status. Awesome. And I know the audience is probably wondering, what is Road to Status? So why don't you give the, the audience an overview of what you guys do? For sure. Um, Road to Status is a online software that provides an end-to-end experience for both the individuals who are seeking immigration benefits uh, to help them complete their paperwork safely, affordably, uh, and do it from their phone or their desktop. We include in the majority of our packages um, the ability to work with an immigration attorney at the end of the process. So what we've done is we've streamlined a lot, streamlined out a lot of the paperwork and duplicative nature of a paper-based system um, to help people get through that process affordably uh, and get to the right resource based on their situation. And I assume uh, this was created because you saw a marketplace need. Yeah, I think, I think and, we, and we'll talk about this probably later in the questions, but um, our other partner and one of the other founders, Javad Kazali, um, is an immigration attorney and worked for the, for the government in many capacities. And brought to us, you know, several years ago, this concept that, you know, there is a, a ton of inefficiency on both sides, also for the attorney and for the end user. And there were a lot of ways in which, you know, John and I's background and history with business and such, we thought we could apply some of that, uh, some of that technology experience and such to a very hairy process like this and see if we couldn't, you know, eke out some efficiencies. And that was, that was kind of the ethos of it. So one of the things, you know, uh, I know we talked about some of this in email and, and mm-hmm. earlier we were chatting is the, the importance of this program. This is being created to really create dialogue for the form of one awareness. So people, the better they understand, uh, the better, hopefully we create more dialogue, but then two, we give people what I like to call actionable insights. So it's one thing to have insights and nothing to have actionable insights. So to have actionable insights, you have to have that understanding. So maybe one thing we we can do is kind of step back and talk about immigration in the broadest context. It's one of the things that we've all seen. The topic of immigration, we've just had so many sound bites and whatnot. It's probably hard for people to grapple with and you know paste all this stuff together, right? Yeah, so we'd love for sure. you guys to kind of paint a picture of immigration, as it were. Yeah, and I, I and I have to say, I was in the same boat. You know, three years ago, I didn't know much about immigration. Um, you know, I knew what they teach you in history class, but not, didn't really know it from the street level view. 
so what you get is, especially immigration being such a hot topic issue, right? It's, it, you could argue that a president was elected on an immigration platform, at least it was one of the key tenets of, of a platform. And you hear the sound bites on one side or hear the sound bites on the other. But I think what we offer is really a street level view. We've helped 65,000 immigrants go through the process in, in, in some way. And we've seen this now, or I've seen it now from the ground level. So I've become educated in terms of what does this really mean? And, you know, I think to take a step back, we all understand that, you know, America was founded on immigration. Immigration is one of our key economic assets. We want people coming here to buy houses and buy cars and buy groceries and, most importantly, pay taxes. And immigrants do that. And that the studies all show that net immigration is a positive economic asset for America. Now, you'll hear on some things, immigrants are taking people's jobs or what have you. But, you know, half of all new businesses created in America are created by an immigrant. And coming to America as an immigrant isn't easy. You know, we know what kind of jobs most immigrants are taking. You know, they're taking jobs in hospitality. They're cleaning, you know, the person that, that cleaned your hotel room last night most likely was an immigrant. The person that cooked your food most likely was an immigrant. Um, immigrants are doing jobs, not jobs we don't want, but the jobs ultimately that need to be filled. And I tell people that being an immigrant is one of the most selfless things you can do because it is coming over here to a, a, a world where you don't speak the language. You're working very, you know, tough jobs. We could all argue. You're doing it for your children. So you're major, doing it for it's your a children. major risk. You're doing it for your children and the betterment of your children. And that's why what people say, we want the immigrants work, but we don't want them to be part of the process or ultimately give them. It, that doesn't work. You know, part of the, 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 the agreement we have as America, you come here, you work hard. And you'll get the benefits of that hard work. And you can't say, we're going to have you come work hard, but then you don't get to stay and be an American, right? And if you're not, and, that, and I'm all the four, and I think my partner, Javad, who spent 15 years with the government, and John as well, we want people that are good people. We don't want criminals, right? There should be a vetting process. Everybody agrees. It. And, and after dealing with so many immigrants, I will tell you the, the number one person that wants it is the immigrants themselves, they don't want bad people. From a reputational perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. We've dealt with so many who say, absolutely, I'm happy to go through a background check. I'm happy to do that because I want, I know that it's to achieve citizenship or achieve permanent status in America is an achievement, and I want that. Right. This, is a, this is a step in their process. Okay. Thanks for painting that context. Uh, let's go through some of the sound bites, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. and, you know, sure. let's understand fact or, or, or myth, right? Mm-hmm. Or where, where things really lie and, and from your perspective the best you can. One, when I think pre-election, biggest yeah. thing was border wall. What I saw in a recent Gallup poll mm-hmm. said, yeah. to your point, a lot of businesses are run, started by immigrants, Correct. point one. Mm-hmm. Point two, they make about 70, 17% of our workforce, if yeah. I remember correctly. Point three, more than 70% were favorable to creating a pathway to immigration for yeah. illegal immigrants. Correct. Point three, there seemed to be a stronger uh, representation of folks who prefer that pathway versus border, mm-hmm. right? But do you have any other things that you've seen that would bear that out as well? Yeah, I think you know, with the wall, um, I think we're, one thing that gets m- missed in this is even if we built a wall on all sides of America, we still, have, we still have an immigration issue here. Great. We have a million people who were brought over here when they were 16 years old or less, mm-hmm. some of them as babies who only know one country, right. you know, and it's this country. Um, we have another 11 to 13 million undocumented people who came here, mm-hmm. many of which have worked long, they have no criminality, have paid taxes, and ultimately want to be here, mm-hmm. right? They want to be part of America. So even if we built these walls, we still have to deal with 
those millions of people that sit here and what what pathway we're going to give them. Okay, And I think that that starts with, and what you're hearing most in the press, is DACA. And one thing I think that's missed is that to be eligible for DACA, and this, the DACA, if you're not familiar with it, was an executive order that President Obama did in 2014 that allowed essentially just amnesty, if you will. It basically said, if you're here, you came over here under 16 years old, you're working or, you have, or you're going to school and you have no criminality, right? You have no, no criminal convictions whatsoever. You can stay. Okay, that's all it says. It it didn't offer a path to citizenship. It didn't offer, but it gave them a social security number and it gave them a status in this country. Well, it also, to interrupt, it it identified them Mm -hmm. and brought them out of the shadows Mm -hmm. and they pay a fee. A very expensive fee. What's the fee? Um, $585, I believe. What's the the fee for? The fee is for a filing fee to the USCIS, to the government, for filing that. To even remain undocumented. To even remain, to, to, to remain in that temporary, in, in that temporary status. In that temporary status. And that's, and that's a, you know, renewed every couple of years, and, and you have to, you know, keep up with it when you move. You have to identify where you move to, yeah, and so on and so forth. So that's, that's a, 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 in the context of, and you, you have John. You, you can't, you can't be convicted of any crime. You have to pay your taxes. So it is a, it's a rigorous process. And, and, and again, not cheap. And these are, these are younger people, right? Yeah. These are people that are, you know, between the ages of, you know, I think on the high end, maybe 35 and then below. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, 585 bucks to anybody uh, in any city is a lot sure. of, is a lot of money. Sure. Uh, and most of these folks are students and doing other things. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But a lawyer to charge, you know, typically the, for a lawyer to do the DACA, would charge anywhere from fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. you know, and that was where. How do we help those folks get access to an attorney, get access to a system that help them through through that process, mm-hmm. and doing it in an economical way? Because they're already paying six hundred some dollars to the government, yeah, at the end. but there's also a very large legal fee typically involved in filling out that paperwork. Yeah. And what our system will do is help them fill that paperwork out. So by the time the attorney gets it. It's fundamentally complete. Now the attorney's just doing a small review of the, on the back end. Got it. So then what about the, the whole uh, issue of dealing with um, what are currently illegal immigrants, mm-hmm. right? There's a couple things, right? One is the, the deportation. Mm-hmm. The other is what I think has been servicing most recently is the illegal detainment mm-hmm. potential issue, right? And then the third option is, again, creating a true pathway. Well, and maybe we can start with the last piece. Yeah. Is there a true pathway today? for illegal immigrants to become legal? Well, there's right now DACA is in a state of flux. So um, about a year ago, maybe a little less, uh, President Trump removed DACA. Yeah, September of last year. So they announced the, yeah, they announced announced the rescindment of the executive order. And then as of October 5th, it was, you know, it was ending. Okay. And then there was a six-month window for people to have those things processed. Okay. And that has now been, that window's up. And in the court, this has kind of bounced around the courts mm-hmm. for a while of what the legality of that rescindment was and also what the, what the legality of the executive order was. So this is being bounced around in courts. The government now is taking DACA renewals. But the problem is that that's not being, that piece of information isn't, isn't out there, mm-hmm. meaning like we're, people just aren't doing it. Well, they're paralyzed. And they're they're the, paralyzed. They're absolutely it. paralyzed. They're like and they're, the and it's fearful and, because it goes to your second point, the deportation and stuff. What John mentioned was that million people that were DACA recipients kind of sat in the shadows. They were just there. They didn't want people to know it. And 
that executive order was a big risk taking for them because they're basically telling the government, here's my name, here's my address. I, I came here. I was not legal. But this, this order is helping me be, stay in school, work, or what have you. But now, by what, what's happening is, by rescinding it, the government has all this information. They know where you live. And people are being picked up and deported. And one, let me go one step further, John, just because, it, because we, in speaking with hundreds of these you know, people that have either come through our systems or in events that we've done or partnerships with like forward.us or the little village chamber, you know, of commerce here in Chicago. We've, we've talked to hundreds of, of, of people and a lot of people, again, because it, it's such a polarizing topic and the rhetoric is so crazy. And, um, you know, people are also very afraid for the same reason that John said, not only to give up their own location, mm-hmm. But because these are these are sometimes multifamily homes mm. where you have people living within the residence that are of other, you know, status, you could have a group that has citizens, non-citizens, immigrant of, 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 of illegal status or, or of no status, right. and then people that are of DACA status, mm-hmm. uh, which is temporary. Right. So there's, you know, depending on how that family unit, you know, operates, they may say, don't, don't go and do that. Right. You know, because you're going to put us at risk too. Mm-hmm. So there's just a there is so much, and because and it, it's like anything else. When when you when you find out bad news, mm-hmm. you can then start the acceptance process. Right. When you find out good news, then you can find out how you're going to move forward. When you're kind of in this constant state of limbo, it's it's a terrifying thing. And uh, and we probably won't cover it you know well here. Uh, and I'm certainly not a psychiatrist, and that's not my expertise. But that is a real thing. The, the 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 children and the people that are going through this mm-hmm. this the stress sure. of this kind of in between. Sure. Am I going to be deported? I, I'm in the middle of school. I've right. got all these commitments. I've got uh, I've got my own children now. Right. I mean, there are so many things that people don't think about as the average American walking down the street because they're third generation, fourth generation here, and and aren't thinking of these things. Right. To have that be something where you could possibly be uprooted, mm-hmm. you know, is it a tremendous amount of stress? So. Anyway, yeah. that's that's those are things I wanted to shed the light on a little bit of, of the things that people just don't think about on, in the average conversation yes. when they're thinking about these things. Absolutely. So let's so let's to your point of your point of the the average American, right? So if you're the average American again, you've heard the sound bites. I'm going to play through some questions they probably have, right? So again, um, uh, immigrants, good for me or bad for me economically? Do they hurt the economy or not? Right? And let's start with take away jobs or no. I would say no, absolutely not. I mean, what we know is the jobs they're filling are jobs that are hard to fill. So um, hospitality, agriculture, you know, lower end construction, those are jobs that they're filling right now. And what we do know is that immigrants are providing a net positive to America in terms of taxes, right? Um, We know that on the other end of the market, many are starting their own businesses, whether it be starting a restaurant. uh, Customers of ours, the Rodriguez Brothers, are on their fourth restaurant, employ over 75 people in Chicago, both DACA recipients. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say one of them is a DACA recipient. But this, this is a very typical case in America. And let's face it, people that are willing to take a risk leaving their countries to come here, they're also willing to take a risk in starting businesses and, and, and wanting to live the American dream. That's why, which, that's why they came here. Let's right. face it, it's a financial dream, right? right. They want to make money. Um, so I would say absolutely. You know, they're starting businesses. They're paying taxes. They're taking jobs that ultimately are very, very difficult to fill. Right. You know, they're the people that cleaned your hotel room. They're the people that cooked your breakfast. Uh, most likely the people that actually lower the supply chain, pick the 
the food that ultimately became your breakfast. Um, so that's absolutely, I think, a net positive to America. And as we said, you could look at case study after case study of countries that had a legal immigration systems and ones that don't. And the ones that had one always, economy grew much quicker than ones that don't, like Japan, which had a closed economy and the economy went sideways for nearly two decades. And it's because of the population started to age, um, you know, and that those lower end positions were, were not being filled. Yeah, I think, I think one other thing to add, John mentioned, you know, some of our friends and colleagues in the business, the Rodriguez brothers who own restaurants here in Chicago. The majority of the people that they employ are citizens. So here are two immigrants that have created businesses out of literally nothing that are creating jobs for people that were born here you know, generations ago. And so on a macro, on a micro level, you have that. And then on the, on the more macro level, look at the, you know, top 25 employers uh, on, you know, in, in the United States. Well, even look where we are now. Started by immigrants, run by immigrants, and provide, you know, jobs for yes. tens of thousands of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Right. Um, and, you know, looking back 15 years, I mean, probably, I think it's like 75% of the top IT talent or IT companies that have been formed mm-hmm. that have made it into the Fortune, you know, 500 were started mm-hmm. by immigrants. Right. We're sitting here in Chicago. In the West Loop, right across the street from Google, right. which one of the founders was uh, was an immigrant, mm-hmm. right? And the so other co-founder was a son of immigrants. Right. So that's a perfect example sitting right across the street here. Uh, right. And I, so I think that's it's clearly um, a net positive. So from an economic perspective, no proof that it's is detrimental. I think just the opposite. It's all, all, every every piece of proof point comes in the favor. There's very every academic study I've looked at comes out that immigration actually grows your economy. Okay. It it, grow, it it ultimately helps and grows your GDP. Okay, so that's economics. Let's talk about uh, the other piece that's been uh, paraded in front of us a little bit: security. Mm-hmm. That they're, uh, they pose an incremental security risk, whether it's Mexicans, Muslims, etc. That mm-hmm. prop- disproportionate security risk. Anything you can share with us factually to that, to either support that or disprove that um, that you've seen from your work? I, you know, we've, we've dealt with, as I said, thousands of immigrants. And that, let's, let's be, you know, this is a very unvarnished. So there, there yeah. Do, have I met some people that I looked at and said, you probably shouldn't be here? Yes, I did. I've looked at people in, who didn't have a job and were on benefits and they weren't where they didn't really care much and they weren't very vested. There's been those people. Absolutely. But they're the vast, vast, vast minority. Right. I mean, I, and I could probably count of the 65,000 people we've come in or dealt with, I could probably count those folks on one hand. Yeah. Unfortunately, to your point, the news and the media, that's where all the stories go. Yeah. You know, they go to that one hand and not to the thousands that are getting up every morning, you know, going to one or two jobs, taking care of their children, not, not doing crimes, right. you know, paying their taxes. You don't, that's not a story. It's just not a story. The story comes in the one or two or few people that are security risks, are criminals. That's what the media focuses on. And ultimately, that's what politicians want to get elected focus on. I think one thing I've learned over the last you know, three or four years in working with the communities and the community organizers, as well as like national community organizations like Forward.us, and uh, that's Facebook's advocacy group for kind of okay. common sense immigration reform. We're like a founding member of the Chicago group of that. And from the very beginning, just hearing all these different sound bites and things. But I think, I think to the point is data, uh, and because John and I are 
technical people and we grew up in software, you know, we're, we've been surrounded by data. You can make data say whatever it needs to say. If you're skillful with a PowerPoint presentation in Excel, you can create whatever story you need to create. And I think a lot of and it. So I think, I think without giving you a non-answer, mm-hmm. I think where you get your news from is where you're going to kind of consume that that type of rhetoric mm-hmm. and that's going to drive your the assumptions that are creating the uh the division between fact and you know just what's easy to pick up on the news or you know et cetera, et cetera. um so it's it's a sad state of assumption mm-hmm. but it's not it's not relegated just to to immigration i mean you could talk about racial bias you could talk about financial bias you could talk about all these different things and it and it all boils down to how is the data presented and to your point and john's i think um from a crime perspective or from a legality perspective it it gets blown out of proportion mm-hmm. because it's a c look that guy was an immigrant or that guy was a bad guy when the focus should be or could be, whether it should be or could be, that's not my decision, but what could be on the positive. Right. Um, and it just, you know, it, it's, it's based on the cycle. You know, so, so we covered, uh, so yeah, uh, economics, employment, security. One other one, um, so kind of back to economic is the business startup thing. Old folklore, immigrants who come in get uh, strong advantages in terms of startup funding in form of grants or loans that are specially designed for them. True or not true? I have not seen anything like that. Okay. I mean, there's certainly, uh, John's point, there could be some biases one way or the other, but I, I, there's no special advantages. And, and let's face it, I've started businesses. We, we've all started businesses. The, the only advantage if you get to start is, is if you're willing to work hard or not. Right, because when you know if you want work, starting your own businesses, there it's a lot of sweat involved, right. and you have to be conditioned mm-hmm. to to take on that sweat. Right. And I think one thing about an immigrant is one, they're conditioned to take risk, and two, they're not many of them. As I said, the vast majority aren't scared of working hard, mm-hmm. and that's why I think the the, the majority of these business, or, you know, such a high high percentage of start businesses is because of that right. those those attributes. Yeah, I, I would add to that. I, I think. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the son of an immigrant, and my you know my dad came here with the typical story of you know not a whole lot, mm-hmm. and created his own American dream. And you know, me being able to go to school and start a business, you know, I'm I'm part of that. Right. Um, but you know, I think most people that have come here and have been entrepreneurial and started their own businesses, I think, contrary to the folklore that you that you were kind of serving up here, I think it's I think it's contrary to that. I think it's 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 harder to get banked. Mm-hmm. It's harder to you know to be able to. It's harder to buy insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're paying a premium. You're paying premiums for, you know, just because. You um, typically don't have a credit history. Yeah, credit credit is very hard to do. You you operate in cash, right. so cash flow is always a, an issue. And that's I mean, go to, go to any nail salon, go to any restaurant that's that's in a you know an immigrant community. I think mm-hmm. you can find examples of that. Right. Um, you know, there are exceptions to that too. There are people that are very wealthy that are in other countries that are seeking um, seeking visas that are specifically designed for um, 
for immigrants that are looking for investment opportunities. You can, you know, if you have five hundred thousand dollars and you have the ways and means to do that, you can, you can quickly, you know, if you can slam dunk a basketball and you're or you're a, you know, a physics genius, you can also, you know, apply for exceptions, you know, for visas for citizenship as well. But those are very few and far between. Excellent. Well, let's do this. Uh, why don't you spend two minutes telling folks about uh, road to status in terms of what exactly people should come to you for? Uh, and expect from you and your services. Do, um, should we start with maybe uh, talking a little bit about more, a little more about the problem that we're solving? Because I think I think that might set up the why a little bit better. That's perfect. Um, if Javad were here, which he's not, he would talk. He would he would he would uh, he would pull out his immigration handbook and put it out here. It's about about this thick. Um, that would be the first thing he would do. But I think the, I think the second thing Javad would talk about, and this is what Javad, John and I and uh, everyone that we're partnered with, we all kind of share this. We all share this passion for um, solving for what is called the access to justice gap, mm-hmm. and that's not just for immigration. And a lot of people are very unaware that you know the average person walking down the street, if they were to have an issue or may already have an issue that they don't even know about right. from a legal perspective. Mm-hmm. Simply, and you know about this, obviously, because of your business, they just don't have a, a way to access or get access to advice, um, whether that be for, you know, my landlord's trying to kick me out, I got in a car accident, and or, you know, whatever it might be, right. anything. You can, I mean, as simple as a, anything. Um, and the number one place people go to for legal advice outside of a friend or family is Google. And that's kind of a scary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you really look at, and we spend so much time with the community and the uh, non-for-profits who break off like splintered arms that are there to help with access to justice, whether it be through legal aid organizations or funded organizations that get money from different places privately or through LSC or some of the other big organizations that, that produce um, funding for those types of things. All the king's horses and all the king's men in all those scenarios all at the same time are just scratching the surface. And it's like – and if you really look at the data and, and again, I I commented earlier how you can make data say whatever you want. It's it's just the gap is so big that even if you quadrupled the amount of service – sextupled, I mean, 10x, whatever it was, you're still only scratching the surface of how many people can get access to help. You've got on one end people with disposable income that represent about, you know, the 10 percent of people that walking around, you know, any of the three of us, if we had to contact a lawyer for any whatever purpose, we could, you know, we'd probably do it. We wouldn't we wouldn't like it. We wouldn't like the bill we got for it. But if we had to, we had to for us or for our family. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the the 10 percent of people that are either on some form of public aid and qualify for legal aid, um, but don't know what's there, don't know how to access it, and wouldn't know what to do if they were there. Mm-hmm. So there's an awareness you know, part of this that is just beyond education. It's just, not, it's just awareness. Right. And then you've got this middle, this 80 to 85% of people that are the average people walking around who don't have enough money but are, make, make too much to qualify for public aid and are either, either um, and I won't say turned away, mm-hmm. but don't qualify traditionally right. for those services. So they have to stand in line, you know, just like everybody else. Right. So when you look at legal services and you look at like companies like yours and companies that are out there that are trying to create a consumer legal process or experience for people, 
Um, I think immigration is one of those things that, from an expert system perspective, hasn't had as much attention as wills and just general you know, things that are more form form based because they're complicated and there are bigger consequences. So that's I think why we sought out to and Javad and John and I looked at this and said, well, with our technology experience and resources and things and Javad's expertise and the people that he has uh, kind of in his wheelhouse. I think we can come up with something that's a little better than what's happening today. Well, to, to John's point with Lujvats, if you look at the immigration code, it's a big book about that BA big. The only thing, only only government regulations larger than that is the tax code. Now, I'm a CPA. Okay, I was born in this country. I couldn't figure out my own taxes without using a piece of technology. I go in just like everybody else. I go into TurboTax and I use TurboTax to do my taxes. The problem is now you have immigration code, which has all the same complexities as tax code, but there's no turbo tax. Mm-hmm. So it's either going. So what we wanted to create was something very similar to that, having somebody go through that step by step process to help them through the immigration process yes. from how do they qualify, what, what benefit do they qualify for? Because there's many different benefits and many different paths people can take. Yes. You know, whether you or I can live in the same household. Mm-hmm. But you might take a very different path. Maybe I came here as a, as a fiancé of somebody. Maybe you came here because you were a Nobel Prize winner and you got a different type of visa, what, what have you. But it's every each, each person has a very individual path. But there was no real technology like TurboTax does for taxation that was doing this for immigration. So that was really the first. But then the other piece was we still want lawyers involved. You know, all the other folks that were thinking about this were like, well, that's great, but let's just take the lawyers out of it. We still feel like we want to connect you into an attorney, or at least if you feel like you need help, that there's somebody there that can help you. And for the attorney, what helps them is they don't have to sit there and and wait. They don't have to have to go through the checklist. Mm -hmm. They don't have to wait for you to get documentation. Our system's pulling all this stuff together. So by the time they get their case file, all of this stuff is done. Now they're doing what they went to law school for, and that's just to review a case and to look if there's any complexities or things that don't match up and to use their legal experience, not their clerical experience of going through all these, you know, myriad of forms that they make you do. And it's when you, when you finish them, have you ever seen a, a corporation tax, you know, filing? It could be big. Some of these some of these immigrations are just as big, and this is just for an individual. And our system goes in and pulls all that together. Citizenship form is like 28 pages. And you said you guys have helped 65,000 people? Yeah, through our system. Actually, probably more than that. That was our last month's number. It's probably closer to 70-something. That's very impressive. Very impressive. So as we kind of wrap up, what, what haven't we talked about on the immigration topic you think we should cover for our audience? I think uh, what's next, right? I think it's what's next. If you know what's next. <laughs> well, and I think Tell us. <laughs> and, and this is where I think what, what's next really is if anybody listening here is like, what can you do? Like, right. what, 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 I'm sitting here and this is all interesting, but I'm a citizen. And right now there's a lot, there, there is an, you know, there needs to be some solve for immigration. As I said, we could talk about building walls. And we, you know, some people believe that we should do. Some people don't. Take that out of the mix. We still have a very large immigration problem here today. People who have been here a long time that want and I think deserve a decision. And John brought this up and talked about this. The, the hardest thing in life we all know is not knowing. Right. You know, whether it's yes or whether it's no. What we've done is we put millions of people in a limbo but they don't know anything. And ultimately, Congress has to act, because only Congress, the, the, the Constitution is very clear, only Congress has the right to actually establish immigration laws. Right. You know, And this is, even with what President Obama tried doing, and with Trump, 
at the end of the day, that doesn't sit in the president's power, mm-hmm. right? It is in the power of Congress to come and determine what's happening. And what, what we've gotten is years and years and years of kicking the can down the road. Yeah. Or, or, not adding, doing, or adding not things doing anything. to those bills. Mm-hmm. And what you have is millions of people that want to be here, that want a decision one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Because they want to, what you, they don't want is to be in limbo. Right. And I think that's where you ultimately to talk Send letters to your legislators and get an immigration bill done. Mm-hmm. We need. We've got a million people here who are who came here as young children that deserve just. I believe stay here. Right. You might not, but we've got to make a decision. Right. What we can't do is keep these people in limbo, and that's what I think people feel most frustrated with. Sure. Yeah. Sure. What are we going to do with the folks that are here? They deserve a decision. That decision can only come from Congress. And that's you know where I love to wrap up, right? So so the actionable insight is it. One of the one one of the typical ones, which sometimes we don't exercise this right, which mm-hmm. is call. You need to make it a issue for in a positive way with your local elected representative. Absolutely, Absolutely. your your representative and, and, and organizations like and, and this is a shameless plug for forward.us, mm-hmm. literally forward.us, forward.us. Forward. That's face that's Facebook's advocacy group okay. again, who we've closely partnered with since the beginning. Okay. Have made it very easy for you to go to their site and find you know your your legislator. In your state, okay. and find and, and immediately get connected to their for their email, whoever their whoever is accepting um, uh, voicemail for them, okay. you can click to call whatever it is. You know, it's all there. So Ford.us, just www.fwd.us. So, okay. And I think I think the the, the second actionable thing, mm-hmm. um, and this is whether they come to a site like yours, a site like ours, or USC, wherever they go. Right. To a local attorney, to a nonprofit, I don't care where people go, but I think most people don't realize how much information they can find out that is actionable for them about their current situation mm-hmm. within a couple of minutes, whether they can read or not read, whether they can read English or not read English. Mm-hmm. There are tools out there, ours being one of them, yours being, you know, there's, a, there's lots of ways to find out. Right. Spend the five minutes, talk to someone in your household and figure out. Find out what your options are because that, I think, will relieve a lot of the stress and anxiety that people are walking around with. Um, And, you know, get a good result. Understand where you're at, and then you can make a plan, good or bad. Excellent. Last word? Thanks for having us on. Thank you both. And and this is the last question I'll ask you. Who else do you know that you think we should know? Um, I've got a couple. Okay. Um, I would be very happy to connect you with um, uh, Jaime De Paulo. Mm-hmm. He is a community organize, organization leader here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He is the, um, I believe he's the president, is this executive director, excuse me, mm-hmm. of the Little Village Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, p- people outside of Chicago, most people won't know, unless, unless you're a Hispanic leader, you probably won't know what that is. But... Um, it's one of the largest immigrant communities clustered, gotcha. you know, inside of a major metropolitan. And there's something like 500,000 immigrants in a, I believe it's a five or 10 mile radius of gotcha. the little village. And it's one of the largest producing commerce sectors, mm. second only to Michigan Avenue, okay. magnificent mile. So, I mean, but think about the types of transactions that are happening there. Sure. So anyone, there, I don't know that there's anyone closer to, you know, the community of the people that we described here today. We've done events there. We have an immigration lab there. Okay. But to get a different perspective from the community level out, 
um, I think he's got a lot of good things to say. Um, I would also be happy to introduce you to the executive director of Forward.us, mm-hmm. both locally mm-hmm. here in Chicago, and we could probably get you connected with Todd Schulte, mm-hmm. who is, was selected by Mark Zuckerberg to run that mm-hmm. uh, group. Um, they are tireless mm-hmm. in, in their advocacy for common sense immigration reform. Thank you for linking up with me for another episode of The Corling Solution. Three important notes before you leave. Number one, please subscribe. If you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever your service of choice, you will see a subscribe button. Please use it. You will then be notified each time a new episode is available. Number two, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or, again, whatever your service of choice. As a new podcast, this is very important for us. It is truly one of the biggest ways you can support us. Number three, this program is about empowering you through awareness and actionable insights in the areas of personal and leadership development, entrepreneurship, and social justice with a focus on education in particular. As you listen to the show, you will have questions. You will hear some things that are new to you and maybe terminology you've heard for the first time. All of those things are good, and I am here to serve you. Go to our website, thecorlingsolution.com, and right below the show notes for that podcast episode, you can ask your questions right there. You can mention the challenges you face in the areas I mentioned, and you can even tell me about other guests you'd like to hear from. Thank you so much for linking up, and I'll see you next episode.